Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jim Vermilia, and I serve as the Dean of Global Engagement and Strategic Initiatives here at Indiana Wesleyan University. And I have the great privilege this morning of introducing our speaker uh, to you. Uh, Dr. Wayne Schmidt uh, is a graduate of Marion College, what would later be known as Indiana Wesleyan University. I think we might have a picture of him on the screens from those early years. Yes, guys, coming? There it is. Yes. So I will let you uh, kind of guess what era in our history he graduated from by the looks of that sweet leisure suit he's wearing there. But following graduation, Wayne and some friends went to Grand Rapids, Michigan, where together they planted a church. And yeah, some folks here from, uh, from Grand Rapids area. And Kentwood Community Church, where he served as senior pastor for the next 30 years, grew to, one of, to be one of the largest and most influential multicultural churches in the Wesleyan denomination. Well, about eight years ago, God uh, kind of tapped uh, Dr. Schmidt on his shoulder and invited him to come to Indiana Wesleyan University, where he was the first chief academic officer of Wesley Seminary. And so for the years that he was here, the seminary was one of the fastest growing seminaries in the country, with programs offered in both English and in Spanish, uh, and programs offered here in the United States and around the world. Well, last summer, God tapped, his, tapped uh, Dr. Schmidt on the shoulder once again, and he was elected as uh, the Wesleyan Church's uh, general superintendent and has been serving in that capacity ever since. I've had the privilege to work with Dr. Schmidt over the last eight years, and I can tell you he's one of the most godly leaders that I've ever had the privilege of working with. He loves the Lord. He loves his wife, Jan, and their family. Uh, he loves the church, and he loves students. And I think you're going to love hearing from him here in a few minutes. Uh, before he comes, Trancy's going to read for us our scripture, and one of the things we're going to do this week during Global Awareness Week for our scripture reading is to uh, light a candle, not in case we lose power again, uh, but just in case uh, as a symbol of our theme for this week. So Trancy, read for us. Yes. Our scripture reading for today is from Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. I'll be reading the passage in my heart language of Chinese. 我若说,我不再提耶和华,也不再奉他的名讲论,我便心里觉得似乎有烧着的火,闭塞在我骨中,我就含忍不住,不能自禁。This is the word of the Lord. Well, I need to start with a confession this morning. Um, I am a bit of a pyromaniac. So I, like, I have two grills, and one is, uh, you know, the gas grill, and the other is the charcoal grill. Uh, but I always prefer to use the charcoal grill, and I always love to use, like, extra lighter fluids, so I get a really good start to my charcoal fire. We have a family home, and it came with a gas fireplace. Uh-uh, gas fireplaces aren't real fireplaces. So we had it uh, made sure it was capable of having wood, and my first question was, okay, how big a fire can you build in this fireplace? Well, one of my favorite things to get my pyromania out of my system is we have this family home that has some woods. And uh, this woods is seriously overgrowing. It is a fixer-upper project, which is to my delight because I have to clean out the brush, build these great big piles, 
add a little accelerant to it, which shall go unnamed, and light that fire and just see it burn. So I am particularly excited about the theme this week and the verse that we're going to explore together. You've already heard it read for you. It says this, but if I say, this is Jeremiah, I will not mention his word or speak it anymore. His word is in my heart like a fire. It's a fire that's shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot do it. Now, I like the symbolism of this candle, uh, Dr. Vermilia, but it just doesn't satisfy the pyromaniac in me. I suggested some alternatives. They warned me that it was only allowed by video. Well, the Risk Management Committee found out about it, and thus we have the candle here with us today. This is a very powerful passage unique to Jeremiah. In fact, Jeremiah is the one who uh, has kind of a corner on this visual, the only one to use it, and he uses it three times in his book, the book of Jeremiah, named after him, and in his second book of the Bible, Lamentations. And Jeremiah is the longest book in the Old Testament in terms of the number of words that's in it. And it has some of the most amazing poetry and it also has some of the deepest pain. And there are many who would say part of the reason the poetry is so amazing is the pain is so deep. And when you put deep pain with great poetry, wow, a powerful message comes out of that particular experience. And he says, you know, I've got this issue in my life, and that issue is that God has put in me this fire, and I can't keep it in. So let me uh, ask you to step into Jeremiah's shoes for a minute. Have you ever had anyone who you knew was going to say something to you that you really didn't want to hear? Now, if you don't really care for the person, it's probably easy to blow it off and not really take in what they have to say. But what if that person is someone you really love and you really care about what they say to you? You want to please them. What if that person is God? And God has something to say to you and you don't really want to hear it but you love God, and you want to please him. That is exactly the dilemma of Jeremiah. In fact, the verse we're looking at today is found in chapter 20, and it's in a section of chapter 20 that is Jeremiah's sixth complaint session with God. So like 20 chapters, and for the sixth time, and this time, 
It's the boldest and most bitter complaint session that Jeremiah has with God. God, what are you doing to me? I love you. I want to please you. You've put this fire within me, but if I deliver this message, it's not good things that are going to happen. I graduated from Marion College, went to help plant a church. I was new in preaching, and uh, God uh, was growing our little church family. And there was a gal named Grace who come up, came up to me after the service one day. And uh, she said to me, hey, Wayne, I want you to know I never listen to your messages. And I thought, I'm sure lots of people are doing this. Most of them just don't come up and tell me about it. In fact, some of you are doing this right now. But uh, she came up to me and said, I never listen to your messages. And she said, but I want you to know why. Because if I hear something, then I'm responsible to do something. But if I never hear it, then I don't have to do anything about it. And I think some people take the same approach with God, the grace approach, grace the person, to God. And God starts to speak to them, and in a spiritual sense, they go, nah, 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 so they don't have to listen to what it is that God has to say. And Jeremiah, look at his complaint in this verse. You've put your word in my heart. It's like a fire, a fire shot up in my bones. I'm trying to hold it in because I know if I put it out there... Difficult things are going to happen. Bad news. It's not the message people want to hear. Jeremiah is exhausted from being the bearer of bad news again and again. And God comes to him and says, I got another message for you. And Jeremiah goes, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear what it is you're going to say to me. How do we receive this word from God and let it out in our lives when we know that difficult times will come? You know, sometimes God puts a fire in us like Jeremiah so we say something. Sometimes God puts a fire in us so that we do something. Sometimes God puts a fire in us so that we change something. Maybe we change something about ourselves or change something about the world around us. So fire doesn't look the same in all of us. It varies by our personalities and our places in life. It also varies by the purposes that God has for it in our lives. And Jeremiah has this fire in him because, as the verse makes obvious, he is to change something through the message that he gives. And he's going to take heat for it. You know, I was thinking about it, and I think it kind of looks this way. Um, whoops, I skipped ahead one there. Often when we say the things that aren't popular, we might get a little criticism. If it goes further than that, we might experience rejection. People shut us out. They avoid us. If it goes further than that, we might experience persecution because of it. Now, most of us in this room have never experienced persecution. 
Maybe in some of our bolder moments for God, we've experienced a little bit of rejection or perhaps some criticism. But part of global awareness is to recognize that around the world, there are people who really do pay a price, a dear price, when God puts a fire within them and they have to act on what he's done. You know, I asked about the book many of you, I hope, are reading this week. It's eight great stories of women in the global church and the persecution that they experience. One of the things I love about the book is you don't have to read the whole thing at once. You can take it a story at a time as you read about these women. And it just reminded me that not only is it true that in places around the world when people have a fire that they have to let out because it's a fire from God, they really take the heat at a whole nother level from what we experience. But I also believe this is true. And it pains me to say it. But if God puts a fire in a person, and that person is a woman, it's more likely that they will experience criticism and rejection and even persecution. And it's true in cultures of the world, and quite frankly, it's true in evangelical Christianity. You know, one of the things I love about the Wesleyan Church that I'm privileged to serve and some of you are part of is that from its beginning, it has had a commitment to women fully expressing their gifts, men and women together fully expressing their gifts. And for us, this is not something out of political correctness. This is not something new. In fact, for us, it's many, many years old. And it's rooted deeply in Scripture. Scriptures like, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ, reminding us who we are in Christ. Or in terms of our, uh, our ministries. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. The Wesleyan Church, this may interest some of you, in 1848, hosted the first gathering for women's rights. You know what the focus of that gathering in a Wesleyan church in Seneca Falls, New York, was focused on? Women could not vote, and they could not serve an elective office. And we as a church said, something's not right about that in light of the Scripture. And it was in 1861, about 13 years later, that the first woman was ordained in the Wesleyan Church. This is at the time of the Civil War, if you think all the way back to when that took place. She was not only the first woman to be ordained by the Illinois Conference of the Wesleyan Church, but she was also the second woman that we know of to be ordained in North America. From the beginning, 
we've been committed to men and women together when God puts a fire in their hearts to be able to fully express that fire. You know, one of my favorite books recently is The Radical Wesley. We are the Wesleyan Church. Indiana Wesleyan University is part of that church. It goes back to people like John and Charles Wesley in the 1700s and their parents, Samuel and Susanna. The story is about Susanna, who was an amazingly gifted woman, and her husband loved it, but he wasn't sure what to do with it. Samuel was an Anglican priest who often had duties for the church that took him away from his local parish, and when he was gone, his assistant, Mr. Inman, would fill in for Samuel. Now, Samuel wasn't exactly the kind of communicator that would please a crowd, and Mr. Inman was one step lower than that. So when he was gone, things really kind of took a dive in terms of the attendance in the morning worship service and the evening worship service. And Susanna, his wife, says, I've got to do something about this. I just can't stand by while things take a... So she starts for her family, which was large. It was a good core group for a church plant. She starts this Sunday evening service in her home. The meeting grew out of a family devotional time Susanna held on Sunday evenings with her children. A few neighbors asked to attend, then others, so that the group soon grew from about 30 persons to more than 200. Now that's a good group home, uh, home in a group. At these gatherings, Mrs. Wesley would read a sermon, would pray, would talk with people who came. Now Samuel was away and he heard about what was going on. He liked the idea of people meeting in homes in theory, but he wasn't all that excited about it in practice because he objected to these home meetings because they were led by a woman, his wife. Might cause him some embarrassment, might be seen as separatist. Susanna, his wife, writes two masterful letters. She noted, I love this, she's feisty that attendance at the church services had jumped dramatically due to her meetings despite the opposition and jealousy of Mr. Inman, Wesley's assistant. She says, we used to not have above 20 or 25 at the evening service, whereas now we have between two and 300. And then she adds, which are more than ever came to hear Inman in the morning. <laughs> I love that. So Samuel's going to shut down his wife's, Susanna's ministry. And in her letter, she says, okay, if that's what you must do, if you do, after all, think fit to dissolve this assembly, do not tell me that you desire me to do it. In other words, don't make me tell two to 300 people you're not welcome anymore. For that will not satisfy my conscience, but send me your positive command. In other words, don't be subtle about it. Come out with it. In such full and express terms as may absolve me from all guilt and punishment. I, boy, she's setting her husband up here. 
for neglecting this opportunity for doing good when you and I shall appear before the great and awful tribunal of our Lord Jesus Christ. She says, sometime we're going to stand before God, and I want it to be clear to God it was your idea <laughs> to stop this service. So you see, the reality is, even though we've been champions of women in ministry, as the Wesleyan Church, we've at times been critics as well. When I was privileged to serve at Kentwood Community Church, we had a woman on our teaching team, Kathy, and no one ever left the church because a male got up to speak. But boy, did she take heed as a female that I never had to take. I walk alongside a woman in ministry, an amazing pastor. Her kids are part of this university family who could not serve in one place, and her family had to move because there was no open door for ministry in her place, even though she was so evidently gifted. If she would have been a man, she would have had the opportunity. And she moved to a church that was struggling. And guess what? In a short time, that church has quadrupled. People are coming to Christ almost every week. Baptisms are happening on a regular basis. And I got to tell you, I'm not really, I did one confession. I might as well go for a second one. I'm a little bit delighted that the place that said no to her continues to struggle while the place that says yes to her and the amazing ministry God has given her continues to flourish. And my friends, this is happening around the world. For instance, in northeast India, this pastor, since 1993, has been the key person in the establishment of 11 churches. Or in a recent ordination service in Mongolia, you notice in the upper right-hand corner, Anita Eastlack, who's on the executive cabinet of the Wesleyan Church, amazing leader for us in North America, is praying over this woman who's being ordained, and she is the national leader of the church in Mongolia. If we're going to fulfill the plan God has for us, and this is the prayer and longing of my heart and many of us who are part of the Wesleyan movement, and I believe increasingly beyond that, we need a kingdom force, and we realize that kingdom force is both clergy and laity. It is both men and women. It is every ethnicity. It is every generation engaged in the work of God. And if that's going to happen, then our fire must be greater than our fear and our frustration. When I was in my teen years, God began to call me to ministry. I had a problem. All the ministers who had served our church were wonderful people. With one exception, they were godly and led well. But they weren't wired like me. I had this 
entrepreneurial tendency in me. I had this ambition in me that I kept going to the altar to try to be forgiven for. I had this drive. And I thought, people in ministry are wonderful, but God, if you're calling me to ministry, I'm not like that. I would have to become something I'm not. And so I wet the wood in my heart. He tried to light the flame, and I tried to put it out. And quite frankly, it got to the point where I knew I would have to shut down my soul. I would have to deprive that flame of holy oxygen in order to live with the fact that I would spend my life not doing what God wanted. So by the time I got to college, freshman year, I was a business major. Now, don't read this wrong. My accountability partner for the last 32 years... We meet every other week, 32 years. He is a business person. He has a fire within him. He lives out his faith in that business context. He is as called to do what he does in the world of business in order to reach people for Christ as I am called in what I do. But for me, I found myself saying, I'm more like the average business person than I am the average pastor. And I was avoiding the fire. And God cornered me. And then he graciously sent me someone who was wired like me that helped me to understand that when God puts a fire in you, you do not become something you're not. You become who you were fully meant to be. And what an adventure. Forty years, that fire has burnt in my heart, and it is as bright and hot today as the day it was nurtured as a student on this campus. You know, something else that made a difference. I had a friend when I was here, and he made it his mission to fan the flame in my heart. Only in the grace and the irony of God's way of doing things, that friend, Dennis Jackson, is now head of global partners, the global Wesleyan arm of the church, 97 countries for the Wesleyan church. So I get the privilege of providing leadership in North America. He gets the privilege of providing leadership globally. We get the privilege of working together. Who would have thought two goofy guys in college would end up right next to each other serving the global church. And Dennis fanned that flame within me. You know, one of the greatest gifts you can do, give someone else, is to fan the flame within them. If their wood is wet... Help him to dry it out. God wants to light a fire in each of you. I think this week holds that opportunity.
In fact, this week, there will be a series of events that are available to you. This week, if you're holding back, if you're starving the oxygen that's needed within your soul for a fire to burn bright, for a week, take a break from that and say, God, light the fire in me. Read the book. Listen to what's being said. And if you're in the life of someone else who has a flickering flame, you be the one that provides the oxygen. What an opportunity this week holds for us. Okay.